listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings everyone, Pastor Nathan here. Thank you for joining us. We are continuing in Mark chapter number 8, looking at the great themes, the great lessons of that, that portion of the Gospel of, of Mark. I'm going to read at verse number 34 and 35. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, the sake of the good news, you will save it. This is Jesus discussing uh, the issue of discipleship. This is profound and fundamental. It cannot be overestimated. We cannot spend too much time on discipleship. It is the part and parcel of what it means to be Jesus' followers. Uh, Jesus is in a moment where he has just presented to his followers, his disciples, that he is going to Jerusalem. He will be betrayed. He will be rejected by the religious authorities. And he will be crucified. He will be put to death. Peter struggles with this, as would any of us. This is not what he wants for his Lord. He rebukes Jesus. Jesus rebukes Lucifer in Peter. Uh, it's astonishing to think that Lucifer can use good intended people, but he absolutely can. We talked about that last week. This moment is a crux moment. It is a crucial moment where Jesus is going to talk about what exactly is involved in being a disciple. Now, for our communication and our language, sometimes definition helps. And a disciple is a learner, a follower. To be a disciple of Jesus means we follow Jesus, not just in what he said, but we try to model the way in which he lived, for he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. We don't argue about truth except to point to Jesus. We don't argue about what is the good life except to point to Jesus. And the example that Jesus lived out for us is so overwhelming. It is so impactive and powerful that it exists as an ideal None of us are at any risk of being too much like Jesus. Instead, it's almost as though it's an ideal and we orient our life toward that. We do not attain. We do not accomplish. We do not arrive at some graduation ceremony. But we look toward Jesus and we say more like that and less like this. And so Jesus is introducing his disciples to this concept, not of healing the sick or even feeding the 5,000. He's beyond that. We should all of us recognize the progressiveness of Christ leading a follower. Uh, in John chapter number one, 
there are disciples called and the language that is used is come and see they ask they ask basically if they can follow they they phrased it like where are you staying but uh it's <laughs> you don't just go ask to stay with someone and there's there's more there they see him as a rabbi they see him as a teacher and they're saying we want to sit at your feet this is very well understood in their time. This is how all schools of learning operated in this particular time. And they're saying, Jesus, we want to follow you. And he says to them, well, come and see. Now, in the end of chapter 8, the Gospel of Mark, <clears throat> it's no longer come and see. Now it's come and die. We have this tremendous journey between come and see and come and die. Some churches do really well at come and see. <clears throat> They're great at attracting people who are at the edge of their faith, on the fringe of <clears throat> Christian life. Uh, they don't do as well with come and die. And there's churches that are really, really good at come and die. Um, and they're always condemning anybody who's just mildly interesting, interested and they, they create a church culture where unless you are sold out 100%, you, you're going to be awkward, you're going to quit coming. Um, this is not good or bad, this is just human nature, this is, I'm not saying this judgy. Um, all of us have to understand the progressiveness of Christ's leading in our life. We start with interest and that's okay. But the Lord doesn't leave us at interest forever. He takes us to mission, <clears throat> to calling, to spiritual purpose. <clears throat> and so he speaks to his disciples here and he shows them, look, you guys have been following me, but this is the path of my ministry. And it's not just for me, it is the spiritual path of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And if you would be my disciple, it's not enough for you to cheer me. You should see this as a spiritual way of being. This is how we get it right. We deny the self, we take up our cross, and then we follow. Uh, the self is always the enemy. Cross is not just suffering for any reason at all. Cross always has missional purpose. That's the point of the cross. He did not die just to die. He died that he might lead us to God. And so it is in every one of our lives. We have missional purpose and calling in us and upon us. But we're always tempted to serve self. <clears throat> and this is the, the tension that exists in the believer's life. Do I serve my desires, my wishes? Do I make my life as good as possible? Or do I find missional purpose and spiritual calling and I turn myself toward that and forsake myself? Now, I want to focus for a few moments on this idea of denying self because I want you to be clear on this truth. Um, the enemy is self. It's not sinful self and religious self is good. It's self. Uh, let me try to explain this. There are passages in the Bible that are very clear about defining what it means to turn away from sinful self. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. This is sinful, sinful self. Um, so let's think of this as me being bad. Churches do a very good job of defining that, preaching against that, challenging people to turn away from that, as churches should. First Peter chapter number 2, verse number 11 and 12. This is 
Peter making this point. Dear friends, this is NLT translation. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, pilgrims and strangers, to keep away from worldly desires. Why? <clears throat> because those worldly desires wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable, honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Uh, so Peter is basically making a point of turning away from secular self, sinful self, carnal self. But that's not the only problem with self. Um, this is the great mistake of religious culture, the great mistake of religious people. They think the enemy is sinful self, not self. Therefore, they're justified when religious self does anything that is of self because they don't see that as being an enemy. Um, I think Paul does the best job of talking about the, the problem of religious self. He says in Philippians chapter number three, uh, look, I could have confidence in my uh, own effort. If anybody was going to have confidence in religious self, <laughs> it was me. Um, no, no matter how religious you think you are, he says, verse <laughs> number four, um, <laughs> I, I have better reason to have confidence in the religion in um, uh, religious life. Verse five, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so jealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul's not talking about sinful self. He's not talking about secular self. He's not talking about running with crazy people, acting out, showing your rear end. <laughs> He's talking about religious self. I was more religious than anybody. I have the highest pedigree. I have degrees in all the important theological subjects. Verse number seven, I once thought these things were valuable. Paul, continuing. Now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Paul, what are you talking about? He's not saying, I'm done going to the club. I mean, he was done going to the club, but that's not the point. He's talking about religious self. Remember, the enemy is not bad self and your religious self is good. The enemy is self. Self is always seeking to turn inward and serve its own needs and exalt itself to be a critic and judge of God, not humbled to the word of God. And Paul points this out that I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteousness through faith in Christ. As if to say, religious me, is not good enough. I need Jesus. And so if self is the enemy, and remember, if you would, if any man would be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up a cross, and follow me. If self is the enemy, we must be wise to the fact that it's not just secular self or sinful self, it's religious self too. Religious people 
do not stop being self-centered. They just have the risk of using the religion to serve themselves. Religious people don't stop being uh, fundamentally selfish. Um, they just now use religion to reassure the self. And the sign of this is the lack of missional purpose. They live a life that, for all intents and purposes, exists. It basically, it's perfection of self, making sure I'm saved. Y'all pray for me, me and my family be saved. Me, 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 me. There's no missional purpose. There's no intercession over the lost soul. There's no time with people who need spiritual mentoring. There's no commitment to a call whereby Christ reaches a lost world through our words, our testimony, our life. That is the sign of self-serve religion. <clears throat> what is that sign? <laughs> Perfecting me, reassuring me, saving me, blessing me, getting me what I need. God give me a miracle. God give me a job. There is no missional purpose. The cross is missional purpose. It's the people you could make a difference in their life. You, it's your life for theirs. All right, so uh, we are challenged in the, great, the, the, the last great lesson of Mark chapter number eight, to see the kingdom of God, not just in terms of you should and you shouldn't, thou shalt and thou shalt not, but to see all the way back to Eden, where the temptation for Adam and Eve is to exalt the self. God's trying to keep you down. God's trying to keep you, you know, ignorant. But if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, you can decide for yourself. This is Lucifer's path. This is what Lucifer did. He said, I will exalt to the heaven. I will become like God. Sure, God's pretty cool, but have you looked at me lately? Self versus God. So if we're going to be true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, let's embrace this uh, profound theme of Mark chapter number eight. Turning away from self, not just secular self, but religious self too. The answer's not in me. It's all about him. It's all about his work, his kingdom, his calling. We love you. God bless you. Parents, there's notes. Sit with your children. Read the Bible with them. Talk to them about the subjects. You don't have to use my notes, but you need to be, let them move along with the same pace of the adults. Uh, and we're at the end of Mark chapter number eight. Answer their questions. Pray over them and ask them to pray over you. The church cannot be everything your children need. We, we get your kids for an hour a week. That's not enough. And in that hour, they need to have fun. They need to have a good time. They need to develop friendships, other kids in the church and with teachers. And they, there's a lot that needs to happen in one hour. We don't have enough time to do this. You, as a parent, part of your religious duty, you need to open the Bible with your children. You need to talk and pray together. God bless you. We love you. Lord, I pray you would be with us. I pray you would strengthen us. I pray you would encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. 
If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.